Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Workers across the country protested economic and racial injustice by walking off the job for 8 minutes and 46 seconds Monday. That's the length of time that a Minneapolis police officer knelt on the neck of George Floyd. KQED's Sam Harnett starts us off this morning. In Oakland, Black Lives Matter and union protesters started at a McDonald's location where the owner allegedly told employees to make COVID masks out of coffee filters and dog diapers. At the event, Minister Sherry Murphy said corporations are hypocritical for saying that they support Black Lives Matter when they keep profits instead of raising wages or providing adequate protective equipment. McDonald's alone has spent over $40 billion in stock buybacks and dividends to enrich shareholders since 2015. It's easy for them to point the fingers at police. And what they should do is point the fingers at themselves as well, because those things are linked in together, that racial justice is economic justice. In a statement, McDonald says it is our responsibility to continue to listen and learn and push for a more equitable and inclusive society. For the California Report, I'm Sam Harnett. And in Los Angeles, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb, where low-wage workers from the fast food industry to rideshare and healthcare led several different demonstrations. At a nursing home in Inglewood, Marquise Black joined his co-workers to walk off the job. He works in the kitchen at the Sentinella Skilled Nursing and Wellness Facility. How can we all live in peace with the violence keep on going? We've been going through the violence in gener- generations, Martin Luther King. Like, when is it going to stop for the next generation? Brenda Barquill chose to strike in solidarity with black health care workers as well. She's a long-term care worker originally from the Philippines. And she says she sees a lot of similarities between labor struggles, such as the push for minimum wage and the Black Lives Matter movement. I feel it. Black Lives Matter. It's because they know, they understand the impact of systemic racism in everywhere they go, school, work, and I, and I feel it too. More than 60 labor unions and civil rights organizations either supported or set up these strikes for black lives in dozens of cities. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb. All eyes are on Portland, Oregon, where the Trump administration has deployed federal law enforcement officers at police protests. Monday, President Trump indicated that Oakland was on his list of major U.S. cities that could see federal agents come in next. KQED's Alex Emsley has the story. The Hill posted President Trump's comments from the Oval Office. We're not going to leave New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and Detroit and Baltimore and all of these Oakland is a mess. We're not going to let this happen in our country. Trump went on to say those cities could see more federal law enforcement and said agents in Portland have done a fantastic job. Governor Gavin Newsom says the state wasn't consulted. Yeah, the, the answer is no, and we do reject it. Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff says the city needs help with the pandemic, not law enforcement. Oregon's attorney general filed a lawsuit last week alleging that unidentified agents in unmarked vehicles seized people in Portland without proper cause. The U.S. Departments of Justice and Homeland Security did not respond to requests for comment. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hemsley. 
Hair salons and barber shops in California may now operate outside. Governor Gavin Newsom released new guidelines that could provide some relief for hair care businesses that have had to close because of health orders designed to stop the spread of coronavirus. Newsom acknowledged there was a lot to take into consideration before making the move. Issues of chemicals and shampoos and perms, it was more complicated than some had considered, particularly as it relates to local ordinances and rules and regulations that were in place. Salons and barbershops can operate under a tent as long as only one side is closed so the air can properly circulate. They should not perform any service that requires customers to go inside. Turning to tech, the video game industry has seen huge jumps in revenue during the pandemic, thanks to everyone sheltering in place. But gaming can also be a hotbed of harassment and abuse. KQED's Aditi Bandlamudi reports on a hotline launching next month to address this. Anita Sarkeesian isn't a stranger to online harassment in gaming. Back in 2012, she launched a video series calling attention to sexist tropes in video games. And then she got death and rape threats. You talk to people who aren't in the game space and they don't really understand or they think that you're a little bit loony, like they don't quite get why you might be scared or frustrated. And so she started the hotline to create a space where people can feel heard. So it's really quite wide ranging in terms of the audience that we want to serve. The hotline is for fans who just play games, but also for people working in the gaming industry who are facing harassment in the workplace. The emotional support that we offer um, can be anything from dealing with online harassment, in-game harassment, but it can also be about feeling depressed or overworked or struggling with abuse. The hotline is funded through donations and is a project of Feminist Frequency, Sarkeesian's nonprofit. Here's how it works. If you want to talk to someone, you text the word SUPPORT to 23368. After answering a few automated questions, you'll be connected to an agent who's trained in crisis response, suicide prevention, and sexual assault. She says these problems are everywhere in the gaming world. It's not unique to games, but it is certainly a place where we've seen it proliferate. Sarkeesian says a lot of these resources her hotline provides are online already, but it'll compile best practices in one place. It launches on August 3rd. For The California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Colleges and universities around California are limiting the number of students they'll allow on campus this fall and shifting classes online in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati says the changes could have a big impact on the college student vote this November. In 2018, Kyle Scholes and the College Republicans of Cal Poly Pomona, east of L.A., were caught up in the blue wave. We got our butts kicked. Democrats captured a handful of local congressional seats, including the 39th District, which includes the Pomona Valley and northern Orange County. It didn't go very well. In 2020, Schultz's group was planning to campaign for Republican Young Kim, who's facing Democratic Congressman Gil Cisneros in a rematch from the 2018 midterms. Then in March, the pandemic hit. Campuses closed and students were scattered. Schultz says his group didn't meet for the rest of the semester, and their plans for the fall are up in the air. It's going to be pretty bad, to be honest. Um, we're not going to be able to door knock. Meaning less contact with voters. In that same congressional district, Andrew Levy leads the College Democrats of Cal State Fullerton. We plan on having a lot of people go and phone bank and uh, canvas in addition to that. But once COVID-19 hit, it was just kind of a bummer. Getting college students to vote can already be difficult. For one, they move around a lot. 
and the pandemic will keep many students away from campus in the fall. It's a you know very transient population as far as moving apartment to apartment to apartment to apartment to dorm to apartment to back home. That's Jody Balma, political science professor at Fullerton College. California is planning to mail voters a ballot, and college students with shifting addresses could be hard to reach. And so we do want to make sure that people update their registration. The college vote is especially a concern in the 39th Congressional District, home to a huge student population at Cal State Fullerton, Mount San Antonio College, Cal Poly Pomona, and Fullerton College. If students aren't voting in the district, or not voting at all, it could mean thousands of fewer votes in competitive Orange County races for the state legislature and Congress. So students are adapting their get-out-the-vote strategy to the age of virtual learning. Obviously, we can't do any of our usual in-person tactics, um, like waving to students as they walk to class to help them register to vote. That's UCLA student Nick Riani, the board chair of CalPERG Students, a group registering classmates and encouraging them to vote. But we can hop into Zoom lectures um, to make announcements. So really just a lot of the same tactics that we would do in person. We've just switched to a virtual model. Voting advocates say professors can play a key role if they take class time to make sure students know how to vote. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. This weekend, New Yorker writer and author Susan Orlean almost broke the internet with a stream of posts on Twitter. She was at home with her family after having a few glasses of wine at a neighbor's house. Here is a sampling of the tweets as read by L.A.-based actor Craig Kukowski. Drunk. Thank you for support during this difficult time. All misspellings are mine totally. I'm sure my neighbors did not notice at all that I was stumbling drunk leaving for the casual neighborhood get-together. Yeah. Seriously, we went to my neighbors to see their newborn colt who was born like five minutes ago, and we had some wine. Okay, a newborn colt rocks it totally, and he thought my hand was his mom. It was not. He has tasted life's infinite tragedy. As I mentioned earlier, I am inebriated. (laughs) Poetic even while inebriated. A public radio colleague of mine said it best, calling the tweet storm an epic poem encompassing the full emotional range of 2020. The typos are epic, too. Susan Orlean joins us. Welcome to the California Report. I'm very happy to be with you. (laughs) Well, it's a thrill to have you here. Take us back to Friday night. This was a cultural event. And I wonder, were you aware of that while it was happening? To tell you the truth, I wasn't. Um, Much as I am ashamed to admit, I was drunk enough that I wasn't really paying attention to (laughs) the impact of what was going on. I was lying in bed. Most of the lights were off. It was early. Um, I think I got into bed at about 830 because I the room was spinning and I felt pretty (laughs) out of it. it. It was pretty dark in the room. So my typing was not my finest. And I have to say, I'm usually very good at typing. I'm a really good typist. And I'm also very fussy and correct my errors. That wasn't going to happen. I was not in that state of mind. Let's talk about the morning after. What went through your mind when you saw the response? What was your, were you proud? Were you embarrassed? What were you thinking? I woke up and looked at my phone and was astonished. 
really astonished. And another, and a friend had texted me and said, you're trending. And I thought, I'm trending. I'm hungover. What do you mean I'm <laughs> trending? I had a headache. I suppose that's no big surprise. Yeah, I bet. And I had a moment of thinking, ooh, ah, I guess I was tweeting last night. But I was absolutely shocked 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 when i saw the response i i mean i've been on twitter a very long time and now and again you write something that gets a lot of response but i think one of those tweets had over a hundred thousand likes That's and nice. thousands of responses and i mean it was really overwhelming and caught me completely by surprise mm -hmm. i mean i I really was um, kind of fascinated by it. And I had, I went back, I read all the tweets and some I had no memory of having written. <laughs> so it was a very unusual sensation. Well, on behalf of the entire Twitterverse, thank you for bearing your soul, typos and all. Um, I know you've had some time to reflect on all of this, um, what did you learn? What's your takeaway from everything that's come of this? First of all, I think we're all really worn out. We're sick of bad news. We're sick of being locked in with our families. We're sick of being frustrated. And I think that this tapped into that. I mean, we've all been toughing it out. This has been a really hard time. And I think there's some amount of just, I'm done with it, that came out that day. Secondly, I think people respond to things that are authentic. And it's not that I'm proud of this or that I think you should get drunk where you're literally going to bed at eight. I don't in any way endorse that. But the ruminations that followed were all very real and very unfiltered. And I think that as a writer, it's just a thing to be reminded of that, that people do actually respond to emotions that are genuine. And oh, yeah. I think the other thing I learned is that two glasses of wine is enough. <laughs> <laughs> on a very practical note, that would be a good note to end on. But I have one more very thoughtful question from somebody that I want to ask you, because for people who are not familiar with your day job, you are a writer at The New Yorker and a very accomplished author of most recently the library book. Um, and that book is, of course, about the 1986 fire at the L.A. Public Library. It is Unbelievable. What an incredible work. Um, Myra, Myra Azanza asked on Twitter, ask her what's her vision of the new library post-COVID? That's a great question. You know, this is a really odd moment in the timeline of libraries because they've always been a refuge when things have been difficult during war, during crises, um, libraries have always been the one place that you feel you can go and have a place to work, a place to be warm, a place to be cool in the summer and, and you know, to find out what you need to find out. 
this is very, very unusual. For libraries not to be able to be open is, I mean, you could probably count on one hand the number of times the LA library has been closed in its mm -hmm. history. It just, it just doesn't happen. What is it going to mean post COVID? Um, you know, with luck when we have a vaccine and we are able to share space together, libraries should be able to return to the function that they've had all along my guess is that there's going to be a long time where we're sensitive to hygiene and cleanliness when sharing spaces. I know libraries are, are really champing at the bit to reopen as soon as they possibly can. And I think what they want is to return to doing what they do, even if it means with some extra attention to issues of public health. Anything that I didn't ask you that you want to say before we let you go? I do want to say I love my cat. <laughs> I cat's also name. Love we need to get your cat's name. Do we know your cat's name? Leo. 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 Okay. And he's a beautiful cat. Um, and I love my family, even though I was raging about them. Um, <laughs> And I also love um, candy-coated fennel seeds, even though I, I suggested that they had let me down. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I wanted like a Snickers bar. I feel you. Candy-covered candy fennel seeds. It's not drunk candy. Drunk candy <laughs> is chocolate, probably. At You know, at bottom line, it involves chocolate. But... Yeah. It can't be something that's good for you. That's counterintuitive. That is not what it's supposed to be. And I still will eat candy-coated fennel seeds um, on occasion, but I'm going to make sure we have something else in the house for emergencies. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Susan. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show, and we'd love to have you back soon. I'd love to. It was my pleasure to talk to you. I'm a big fan of the show, and I look forward to talking again. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, July 21st, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Have a great day, everyone. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. Water heaters only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? 
or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snapjudgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.